And if people make mistakes with the monetary policy, they don't suffer as a result, I think. Mm. It's hard to even tell that they have made a mistake because there's no like control group or anything. Um, and so I think that the, what Bitcoin represents is this, this safety valve. It gives people an alternative. If they don't like how the monetary policy in their country is being run, they can switch to Bitcoin. And if they don't like how Bitcoin is being run, they can switch to some other cryptocurrency. So hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm talking to Paul Stortz, who is an independent Bitcoiner and Bitcoin researcher. I hope I have pronounced your name right. Um, so sure welcome to the it. welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much. No problem. So uh, before we start, I have to plug two things really quick. First of all, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available to order. You can get it on Amazon, um, on bookshop.org, and hopefully in some bookstores now that places are opening back up. And also I have to plug our sponsor, ExpressVPN. You currently get 35% off of 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below. So, Paul, we are here to talk all about um, Bitcoin since it's been very, very in the news. And this is hopefully the first of, of many podcasts on um, cryptocurrency and decentralized finance that I'm going to do. So why don't we just like lay the ground for the conversation we're going to have. Uh, to you, what is a cryptocurrency? Okay, the, well, the, the crypto part of the word, it refers to cryptography, obviously, but that's in direct contrast to a, a government fiat currency. So when you have the US dollar or British pound or euro, you basically, at the end of the day, if you boil it all down, you have a, an, an account with the government. You may have an account with a bank, but that bank has an account with the central bank, which is run by the government. So really at the end of the day, you have a, an account with the government. That's your fiat, tr your traditional government currency. And this is in direct contrast to that where you have basically an account that is calculated by a software algorithm. And so the, the big implication of that is that the software algorithm, it doesn't have any idea if you, if you are physically located in any individual country or breaking any laws or doing anything politically subversive. It doesn't know if you're white, black, male or female, four years old, you know, if you're not even a person at all and you're just a computer following instructions. So, so that's the big practical uh, distinction. Hmm. So where did you first come across the idea of, of a, a digital cryptocurrency? Like, when did it first like cross your, uh, your radar? Yeah. Well, I, it's funny because people had been telling me about it for a while, and I always thought this is the stupidest thing ever. Uh, it's, and in fact, the story I often tell, which is 100% the truth, is that there was this three-state project where a bunch of people in America were, were going to move to the state of New Hampshire and then politically organize to become more active there. And they were sending out emails about coordinating this big project. And I'd signed up for the, the email list. And one of them was like, if you, if you come, we'll give you free Bitcoin. It was like 50 free Bitcoin or something. If you go, this is like in 2010 or something a long time ago. And I, I literally was so angry. I was like, these stupid libertarians, you know, um, you can't run money like this. You can't just start a new one up because network effects and because, you know, it's a victim of its own success. If, it succeeded someone else would there would be copycats and and so i actually i remember distinctly something like that that email stood out as being annoying and i unsubscribed from the mailing list either immediately afterwards or sometime after i was like this is just so stupid i can't believe i ever like threw in with these jokers uh but what really changed my mind completely about it was the um there was an article about silk road i think it was in um it was in Gawker, maybe, or Wired, I don't remember. But there was an article about Silk Road, and it was basically, it, it just explained a couple things. One was that these people need, they absolutely needed Bitcoin to complete the transaction. They couldn't use a credit card, it would have their real name on it. They couldn't use like a check. They couldn't use cash, because you'd have to just mail the cash to someone or whatever. And then, you know, that's not a great idea. Um, and so they absolutely had to use 
Bitcoin to do the transaction. But what also struck me as interesting about it was that a bunch of crazy drug dealers and drug addicted people, they were already, they had gotten it to work, you know, like it was a complicated technology, but they, it worked well. It was like user-friendly enough to be used. And that really caught me by surprise. I was like, huh? Cause you know, I, you thought about it as this complicated thing, but then you're like, oh, random guy down the street. I mean, the joke's on you, right? Random guy down the street is like, is already using this and Silk Road was doing enormous amounts of revenue and was, it was enormously profitable. So just objectively, the economic value was there. And so I thought, well, this is gonna be for every illegal transaction in the world. Um, this, and, but it can also be used for every legal transaction in the world. And, and the illegal, illegal distinction, you know, what, a certain time and place, like slavery was once legal in the United States. And in fact, I'm in Connecticut right now, there used to be a law that said, if someone came up from the South and just pointed at someone and said, that person escaped from my slave plantation in the South, you had to help capture them and return them to the South, or you could be fined an enormous amount of money and sent to jail for the Fugitive Slave Act. Right. So that was a law at a different time. And you know, and all around the world, we have different governments who, you know, governments are just not perfect. They're, and societies figure out what the law is over time. The law is, is growing and changing and improving all the time, which means that it, at every stage in its evolution, it has flaws that need to be fixed. But it also includes all kinds of stuff like just trying to get your money out of, out of uh, China and escape the country with your life or something or um, anything in, you know, what are you going to do if you're female and you're in Saudi Arabia or something? You know, what, what are you going to do if you're in a country with hyperinflation? So this whole legal, illegal thing, everyone likes to, of course, pretend like they would never, ever, ever, ever be associated with anything legal and, <laughs> and uh, they wouldn't go out with someone who would and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, we want to avoid this thing. But deep down, we all know that, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of tax laws that no one obeys. There's speeding on the, on the highway. There's a lot of, you know, these city ordinances about when you can mow your lawn, blah, blah, blah. So, so I was just kind of like, oh, wow, this thing is like taken off. Like I thought, I, I thought it was so dumb. It's actually so practical and people are already using it. And I just thought what's, what's, what's missing is that everyone else is thinking as I thought before when I got the, the email, I was like, this is some scam or some stupid thing. That's, that's the mistake. They don't realize that it's already, the project is already like completed. They're already sort of being used in commerce. Mm. Yeah, like the, the, the idea has already reached its conception. It's not like they're still figuring out how, how to work it. Like it, it's more about integration now than it is about um, like figuring out how the technology itself works. Yeah, but, the, the cool thing I want to mention about the, the, the drug dealer thing, it was kind of important because you would think the drug dealer is already criminal. So if they could steal the money, they would. Yeah. Because they've got nothing. But And also the drug addicts, they really want the drugs. So if they could game the thing and spend the same money twice or something to get more drugs, they would. So you had the situation where actually really, really like selfish people who had nothing to lose, it was working for them. And so I was like, oh man, like, you know, that was what made me think, oh, the project is already finished. Mm. So you're saying if, if, if there was an opportunity to exploit it for fraud or it was the way to, if there was a way to scam people specifically by like attempting to make them make transactions in cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in this case, but like in any other cryptocurrency that it would be that they would have already done it. Like that, that would have been the, 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 the first breeding ground for it would have already resulted in, in loads of scams, but instead it, it worked. And that's, for you, one of the remarkable parts of it? Yes, yeah, so it was very stress test, stress tested. I think everyone wanted this transaction to fail, the buyer, the seller, the government, <laughs> like, but it would still, it would still go through. And I, so that's what made me really think, oh, I had really misunderstood it. And I was like, oh, I have to look into this more. Yeah, and then you look into it more and you, um, you learn a lot more about your own, like I, at first I was like, why don't they just use credit cards on this site? And then you're like, oh, you know, of course, because your name and your address is on there. But it's more than that. It's like, you know, you call up the credit card company and just say you didn't buy something and you lost the card. They may always make the merchant eat it. So there's like this entire world that you don't see if you're like a 
just merely a consumer or even just like an upper middle class type white guy, you just sail through life and you just think, oh, like a cash, a check, a credit card, a debit card are all like equivalent to you. But then you start to dig into this and you're like, oh, no. there's all these big differences. Mm. I mean, I guess the speed um, of which it can be it can be done is also a, a bonus, especially if you're talking about transferring money around the world. But like the, the big question I want to I want to kind of ask here um, at the start, I say at the start, we've been talking for a while. But anyway, is that um, there up until the, the 1970s in America? And I'm not actually sure when we came off the gold standard in Britain, but essentially the 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 money in America the dollar uh, was backed by by gold up until the se- the 1970s I think it was 71 72 uh, it got removed um, and so you it was no longer backed by something physical it was just based on each individual's trust in the dollar like that the dollar will still be worth one dollar in a, in one week one month one year that okay save for a small inflation like it's it's a it's a safe place for your money to be in the dollar it's not going to it's not going to get hyperinflated out of existence uh it's not going to just no people are going to continue to take it it's all based on our our confidence in the fact that the price will remain the same so what is the the difference here between bitcoin or a cryptocurrency now and um, how we how we now operate the financial system where our our currency may be like the central issued currency of a government, but it's not actually backed by anything physical. What's the difference here between that and Bitcoin? Aside from the obvious, like the fact it's digital. Yeah, well, I mean, the U.S. dollar and most currencies are almost completely digital already. And in fact, all currencies are really abstract if you kind of think about it. But even like, you know, the cash in your wallet is really like a physical coupon for the digital account at the commercial bank. Commercial bank has an account at the the central bank. Um, I think, well, obviously, if I could try to answer your question, I mean, both of them are really backed by nothing and they're really both digital. Uh, That, or which is to say they're backed by the community that would accept them. Um, and the question is why would someone accept something for the first time if no one else is accepting it but that turned out to have in bitcoin's case and in fiat currency's case that had turned out to have an answer uh, um, which is that people would you had a reason to believe that people would accept it in the future Um, so i could get more into that if you like but let me see if i can try to drive it exactly with your what is exactly your, your question is how is it i mean the as I said, one is run completely by software algorithm and the other is not. And so the other is run by people. And so when you have people involved, you have a lot of advantages. People can use reason. They can just get out of a bad rule that they don't like. They can just, you know, in an emergency, they can just drop the rule if they don't like it. Um, but there's also a lot of disadvantages because you have basically corruption. You know, how do you know that the people are running it in the best interests of the users of the currency and not in their own interest or in some someone else, some, some politician's interest. You, you really don't unless you, unless you join the team and work for 30 years and become, try to learn everything about what they're doing. It'd be very difficult for you to even tell whether or not they are corrupt. Uh, but in the case of cryptocurrency is there's just this algorithm. And a lot of people have, the algorithm itself has been, it could be many ways, but the ways that this Bitcoin is, for example, they've made choices that are like the fixed, the 21 million coin limit, the fixed supply. They say, we will only create so many units. And this is now hard coded into the software. So it's a very hard limit. You know, it won't, it won't be changed by any person. And so then when people say, well, what do I want to, you know, I have some savings, do I want to hold it in? U.S. dollar, uh, which can be, uh, you know, of which an infinite amount can be created tomorrow, and which trillions is being created um, as we speak. Uh, or do I want to hold it in Bitcoin, where I know that this is the exact schedule that the money would be created, hmm. uh, and it won't change at all because it's hard coded in. Hmm. 
So what does is, what is the idea of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mean to you? Because I've seen and listened to a few people talk about it as, as this revolutionary piece of technology that's going to change the world and upend all of our current institutions, financial, political, societal, otherwise, that it's just going to change the entire world, uh, upend power structures, finish fiat money altogether, that we will all just be using Bitcoin for the future. Um, what is, obviously these people are quite optimistic, but I mean, yeah. they're a lot closer to being right than anyone would have said that they were this time last year. So, I mean, I don't think we can rule them out. Um, yeah. But uh, what does it mean to you? Like, what does the technology represent in your eyes? Yeah, well, I agree with those people. I'm optimistic. I'm a believer. To me, I really think that it's a lot of things at once. I mean, a lot of people just say it's freedom or whatever. But I think that, I mean, I have a tra I have training in economics and um, I have a lot of education training and I, I've worked in the field of economics in the United States for a while. And uh, I think that a lot of economics, including monetary policy, is, is pretty scientific, which is to say there's no... It, uh, scientific to me is like error correction over time. And if people make mistakes with the monetary policy, they don't suffer as a result, I think. Mm. It's hard to even tell that they have made a mistake because there's no like control group or anything. Um, and so I think that the what Bitcoin represents is this, this safety valve. It, it gives people an alternative. If they don't like how the monetary policy in their country is being run, they can switch to Bitcoin. And if they don't like how Bitcoin is being run, they can switch to some other cryptocurrency. So that it restores competition, currency competition. Hmm. It's something that's kind of been erased in a way over the past sort of right. 20, 30 years with the, like for in Europe, in Europe, for example, they've, they've erased nearly all of the, 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 the European currencies in favor of the Euro. The dollar has become like really, really widely used around the world. I mean, I, I, I still can't get over the fact I was in Vietnam, like the country that, that was terrorized by America for 40 years. And aside from their own currency, and sometimes even more so, they won the US dollars. I, <laughs> I still find that such a bizarre thing. I was like, a bizarre concept, because you're so far from America. There's seemingly no link, but people, people trust the dollar so much that for whatever reason, I mean, maybe that'll change um, with how much of it is being printed at the moment. But... It's um, it's hard to imagine something other than that being being the world currency. Do you do you really see like a digital currency becoming the global standard in a in in a way? Well, I think it's. I certainly think it has the potential. I don't think it's inevitable, but I do think that um, it, it it it's absolutely possible. I mean, what, how it would happen would be these lower. But you can see how, like, if there's many, like, say there's 200, uh, let's say there's 150 currencies, the, whoever's in last place, um, no one really wants that currency other than the fact that they, the local people that they trade with often are using it. But that's vulnerable to being taken over by, like, the U.S. dollar, Venmo, or something like Bitcoin that is kind of everywhere at once. Uh, so you can see it just working its way up the list and having these lower currencies die and get absorbed and uh, absorbed into the, the larger currencies. And then you can just see maybe there'll be a world where there's only like, you know, the British pound, the euro, the yen, the US dollar, the Chinese um, RMB, and uh, like a couple currencies, and then Bitcoin. Um, and then you can just see you know, it'll just, there will be a new, there'll always be a currency on the list that is the lowest ranked. And that one, people will just think, well, maybe I should hold Bitcoin with my savings. And then if I want to hold Bitcoin, maybe I should accept Bitcoin, cut out the middleman. And then they just think, uh, maybe I should try to earn Bitcoin since that's, maybe I should try to, now that I have all this Bitcoin, I want to spend it, cut out the middleman that way. Um, so yeah, it has that potential. Hmm. So how how close or how long do you think we are away from like a more mass adoption? 
we're we're kind of we're obviously in the middle of like a big crypto boom at the minute over the past six months um where like the 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 market cap of both individual cryptocurrencies and generally is just skyrocketing um like i can't believe dogecoin made millionaires out of people that's it's just madness um I know my brother has a has a hardware wallet that he can't access with a whole bunch on that he'd mined in like 2013. So he's not particularly happy about that. Um, but story. yeah, exactly. I mean, my my mom can't get the, her head around the fact that he can't get access to it. She's like, oh, why can't she? Why you know? Why doesn't he have a backup code? Or why can't he email yeah. someone about it? Or can't or email someone? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But can't email anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But. Oh, it, it it begs the question for me then where do you get that that crossover point where not just you know like internet you know denizens and and people who are obsessed with technology when does it when does it become or can it even bridge that gap or are we simply just going to wait for the people who like legacy money as i'm now calling it um, <laughs> and to, yeah. to sort of just die off die off <laughs> essentially or just or or succumb uh, or max well, i think it's commonly misattributed to max planck but didn't he say someone said um science progresses funeral by funeral yeah um i think he didn't actually say that but i guess one, one funeral at a time i think is the is the quote but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and uh well i think you know you have to consider the consider like other things like the car but or also the internet though basically is a big one you know you can see how in you know in like the, the 70s and 80s and 90s the people in the who got involved in the internet were very atypical um but now today you know you can't you can't exist without you try to open like a bakery or something and you don't have a you don't have a website you know you, you basically can't mm. um so, you know, that took a while, but it, it, there's a lot of reasons to believe it would be faster with Bitcoin because, first of all, the, all technological progress is changing at an accelerating rate, so it's just later. But also, the internet never, like, really, 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 really disproportionately rewarded you personally if you were early, like, in, in like, secret, untraceable, internet, untaxable, like, e-cash or something. So there's like a huge incentive to like learn really, really quickly. Uh, I think that will obviously a second factor that would make it go much faster than internet adoption. Mm. Obviously, there's an enormous learning curve, but think about the learning curve um, with the internet also. There was all this stuff about everyone had to learn about like how to unplug your router and plug it back in and like how to like... uh, um, what were all the things that people, yeah, people had to learn like how to use a web browser, how to use, you can do this now, but I remember when you couldn't like, when you used Google, you couldn't like type in like, you know, where is the nearest bakery or something, question mark, enter. Like you can can do that now, but there was a time when you couldn't do that at all. Hmm. If you type that in, the results would just be nonsense. And, uh, but you had to like learn how to use Google, like, okay, most important word first. Second word, I always put like troubleshooting if it's about, put the name of the software program, you know, they're like, all oh, this stuff that we all know now that we had to learn mm. over a long, many people had to learn how to type. Yeah. Doctors in America didn't know how to type at all until like, many of them still don't even know how to type because this is considered like assistance work. They just <laughs> write it out and someone else will type it. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's laughable, right? That you could have such an elite professional but they had to do, when they did the electronic medical records, they had to have like talk to speech dictation software. This was like 20 years ago when that software was like cutting edge and it like basically sucked. They had to do it because so many doctors could not, you know, type. It sounds incredible, but <laughs> that, was, that, that was reality because this was just considered like a secretary skill that you wouldn't do if you were the elite doctor. I don't, you know, you should talk to someone who was in the industry. I don't know that much about, but that was like a, that was like a shocking, um, you know, there's just all these things, you know, society is always going to change. Remember like barcodes were invented, you know, like the fifties and sixties. 
that was like a weird idea at first. So uh, I don't know, you know, you asked like how long is it going to take, but I think probably, you know, we look at how far it's come in the first 10 years. So the first 10 years went from totally being written off by everyone to now today where it's still mostly misunderstood, but you do have a big difference today. I think Elon Musk like really was like a watershed moment or a milestone or whatever metaphor you want to use because he happened to be the richest person on the planet, but he's also like inescapably serious person. Like obviously he's very funny on social media, but he, he like means business, right? Like he's not screwing around. Like he will get the rockets to land right side up. If he wants to start, you know, a company that puts a microchip in your brain or he wants to start a company that, you know, does, Bill Gates like, wouldn't get away with that. Do it. <laughs> yeah, that's the irony. Yeah. Well, there, there was a funny meme about that. That was like all this, like whatever Bill Gates. And then it was like the skepticism of the, vaccine brain control and then it was like oh like hold my beer or whatever part of elon musk with like Neuralink or something yeah. <laughs> he's gonna volunteer to <laughs> direct brain direct brain surgery with electrodes and things mm. so but he'll just like he'll just be like what do i want to see in the world okay i want more solar power i'll just build it you know so so something like that is such an insane it's so it's so mad to have that level of resources and I, I've heard that there's some big thing coming with um, solar batteries and Bitcoin combined. And I have no idea what on earth that means. I've just yeah, seen yeah. it in about, like, I've seen like six different things about it. And I couldn't, I was like, what, what on earth are these people talking about? So um, I, I don't know. I'll put the link in the description below of, of what I read if anyone wants to check out and maybe they understand it better than I do. Um, so do you see this technology not specifically Bitcoin, but um, cryptocurrencies and the underlying blockchain as just new money? Or do you see it as something beyond that? Yeah, this is a commonly debated thing. Like, will it just take over? I I, I don't know if um, my point of view is the same as most. Many Bitcoiners are only focused on the money part, but I do think, and I have written about this on my, my blog a little bit, that I do think it could take over a lot of anything where you want would want to have digital property so satoshi nakamoto himself mentioned the domain name system like if you want to buy a domain like uh, google.com or whatever you have your own domain again right now you really have like an account with someone who has an account with like ICAM, who has like if you have an account with someone you don't really you own the name because they have decided it's in their best business interest to <laughs> not to let you buy one and then not give it away to someone. So that's, that's the whole reason they can sell them for enormous amounts of money um, because they don't just, they take good care of them. But really they're running this whole scheme. Um, Satoshi was part of the invention of something called BitDNS that later became Namecoin. That was like, you could, you could do the same thing where instead of owning coins for money, you could, you would really own the domain and the algorithm would calculate very easily you'd be able to figure out who owned what domain and how to get to the, you know, the server and stuff. And so you wouldn't have like right now, the domains can be seized by the government and closed down with, with in this they they could not, they have to find the server and seize that, but you could hide the server behind Tor or something. So I think anything like, if you want to like all of your, uh, there's a project, David Vork, I know is doing this project, um, SIA, which is like storage on the blockchain. So all of your private files, um, all of your logins and your, your identity. Obviously, we have like the NFTs, which is like digital collectibles. But also, you can manage like a cap table of like a startup or a company that way. You say, who owns what equity? Well, we'll just have this, we'll have the blockchain take care of it. And then if you want to sell it to someone else, you don't even have to, you don't even have to let me know. Like, say I'm the CEO, I give someone equity, I give them 1% of the company. They can do whatever they want. They could lose it. They could sell it to someone else, you know, and I wouldn't even need to know necessarily. They would just own it. And no one else would need to know either. Like, you know, the, the lawyers or the exchange or something. So I think it, it could do um, that, I, that. I'm a big proponent of these, uh, these things, prediction markets, which say that you could have this, this, this scheme 
inside, all inside, hermetically sealed inside the blockchain where it would be safe from tampering and people can bet on what, who they think, should, you know, what, how, what decisions they think should be made and what the consequences would be. So as a result of that, it'd be very easy to figure out like who we should vote for or what law we should have or who should be the CEO of a corporation. Because you could just say, if this person was the CEO, the stock price would be this. If that person was the CEO, the stock price would be that. And in that way, it would have an enormous uh, impact on something that wasn't money, right? Because you would, if you were the CEO, you wouldn't want to be fired, right? You'd want to protect your job. But there would be this thing out there that you wouldn't be able to stop that would say, if they fired you and re replaced you with, with someone else, the stock price would go up. And now you have to work very, very hard. You have to work very hard every day to make sure that you are making the company more valuable. Could you go back there a second? I kind of lost you in, 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 in like, I heard what you said. I just mean, I, I didn't quite sure. like follow, follow through what you meant. So you're saying that the, that the blockchain could be used to make companies more secure? Well, the, right now we have a problem where, so you can imagine like a giant pyramid with the, the CEO at the top or the, you know, the president or the prime minister or whatever at the top. And then they have their people that they, that work for them. And then people have worked for them and there's staff. And then they produce something that they sell to the customer at the bottom. And if you are the CEO and you don't like what your employee is doing, you can uh, replace them. So as a result, and you live it every day. So you're going to work 24 seven, even if you're not there 24 seven, you're thinking about your job 24 seven. And you, you have a lot of control and ownership over everything beneath the pyramid. And that's very efficient if the guy at the top is a good person. But of course, we don't always get the best people. It could be someone like, you know, I don't know, Kim Jong-un or something. He's running it very well, but for himself and not for the benefit or not for any other. The point is he's only being run for himself instead of any other thing it could be run for. Um, now, the question is, how do you know? People always disagree about who should be this top person. And some people say, well, it should be, you know, it should be someone from the labor party or whatever. And some people say, well, it should, it should be this guy, my friend, you know, or, but then they all disagree. And it's very hard for a normal person to know who should be the, the leader, especially, you know, just think of the corporation case. One person says, you know, what if someone said we should actually replace Elon Musk with this senior engineer at Tesla? Hmm. Because he's actually even better than Elon at running the company. <laughs> well, most people would just be like, I mean, I don't know. That could be true. That could be false. They're going to stick with the devil they know, probably, versus the devil they don't. But you know, no one really knows is the problem. So the, the, pro the, the problem for the corrupt CEOs is that we don't know which are corrupt and which are, are good. And the same for the politicians. There's no way of replacing the bad politicians. Okay. So what you do to solve this problem is you have all this betting. You make all these contracts. Some are worth more money <laughs> if you replace the CEO. And some are worth more money if you keep the CEO. And some are worth more money when the company does well. And some are worth more money when the company does poorly. You multiply them all together in this big matrix. And it's, it's not very easy to describe on a podcast using words. But it's actually pretty, if you just look at it visually, it's a... And I'm writing software to make this a lot easier to understand at the moment. Um, but it's, you know, it's not super. I mean, I have like slides and visual aids and stuff. Would you send me them? I can splice yeah. them in when you're to, to when yeah. I'm editing this. Um, that would make it more, more useful for people. Um, but I think I get what you mean. So let me just but, like, like. Yeah, let me just say the last piece is that you have something out there that pays off a ton of money if the CEO, uh, if you replace the CEO, and the company does very well. And if that thing is trading at $0, like it would pay off like an enormous amount of money, but no one wants it, then this is a clue to you that actually that, that person wouldn't make a good CEO. But you need like the whole matrix of prices to really figure that. But that's, that's just what it's getting at. You say, well, uh, I can, you know, you just look at the prices and you just say, well, this is worth money if we replace the CEO and the company does well. But you say that, you know, 
that we'll never have, we'll never live in a world where the CEO is replaced and the company does well. Like, what if you say we're going to replace the CEO with a monkey, and then this is going to pay if the stock price doubles, but otherwise it's worth zero, and currently it's trading for zero. Well, and you know, this is a clue. Hmm. It's very hard to explain. No, I, I kind of get what you mean, but is this not so? Essentially, you're you're asking people, or you're, you're going to create a system upon which um, you can bet on specific smart contracts in a way that have um, an intrinsic value dependent on the performance of, say, a company in this case, and if it, then yeah. you're using the the betting market or the the market of purchase on these smart contracts in order to determine like the prevailing sentiment about how that company would do in the case of whatever outcome is listed in the smart contract right is that is that there is yeah basically i mean you could do all this today these are this is called conditional prediction markets mm. you could do it today you know uh, anyone could do it without the blockchain tomorrow but the, the trick with the blockchain is, you know, you can, it's like uncensorable and it's private. You can just say, because, you know, everyone is going to be saying, like, let's say you work for this corrupt CEO, you know, what are you going to do? You, what are you going to do? You're going to complain. The CEO will fire you. Are you going to go, you're going to go uh, over the CEO's head. You're going to try to talk to the board of directors or something and say, well, you know, this guy isn't actually that good. Well, the board of directors is going to think, okay, Maybe this guy is right, maybe he's not, but he's he's going over people's heads. That's not, you know, that's not through the proper channels. Mm. And then you get fired anyway. So most people have just learned over their life, you know, except for like the autistic people or whatever who are immune from this whole, they don't even perceive this horrible political world that we all li have to live in every day. <laughs> people have learned like, you know, kind of uh, all these social skills that help them just live in this world where they have to, keep track of who their allies are and do favors for people and be loyal to people, um, which is, which is all well and good. But, you know, uh, often in when running the country or when running a big corporation, it just immediately leads to inefficiency. Mm. So you're, a, the best person. you're essentially allowing the people within a company to bet on its performance with their ins like, isn't that essentially like insider trading? In yeah, the, the, the original, there was a, uh, there was a website called Intrade and that was the joke of the web intrade.com. That was the joke of the title as I perceived it was that it was about insider trading and they pioneered a lot of this and they were closed down in the year 2012. And that is the year that I sort of started to get really interested in, uh, blockchain, Bitcoin for the first time. So I, that was when I sort of got into it all the way back then. Um, and so it has a very long history. And yeah, insider trading is uh, is a very complicated idea. It's not, um, but yeah, but you want, you want all the information in the market to be aggregated into one price. So it's also irrational to care about where the information comes from. That's the ad hominem fallacy. Mm. But uh, yeah, that is part of a, I wouldn't exactly describe it quite that way, but think about it. This is the good information that's being suppressed by a tyrannical leader. You want it to get out. It's really whistleblowing is more, mm. more what it really is. Think yeah. about it. If you're the good CEO, then you actually aren't afraid of this at all. It will just show that you're the best you have to keep working as hard as you can, but you were doing that anyway because you were a good CEO. So you're now immune from actually being challenged if you really are the best, and that's how it should be, right? Mm. I wonder how the betting would look on on Citadel's company right now if it was possible. <laughs> yeah, well, there are many. I mean, for many of these, for large organizations, that just the sheer size and means it's more, and the sheer complexity. It means that it's almost impossible for a normal lay person to actually figure out, as I was saying before, to figure out who, what the people at the top are doing. You know, like what if someone said, you know, that the U.S. government shouldn't be involved in some military conflict or another. I mean, how on earth does a regular citizen even have any idea? You know, that as far as we, I have no idea. Like maybe there is something really important there that that in 30 years it's all declassified, and then we're like, yeah. oh, well, that was really important actually. You know, no one actually knows any of this. It's too complicated. So, especially when the organization is big, but also for a corporation. A corporation could say, you, you'd say like, oh, 
why is the CEO getting paid so much? Or why are they having this giant lavish party? Well, maybe the party is just corrupt, uh, you know, stealing is just a misappropriation of funds for a party, but maybe there actually is some incredibly clever, like it's essential to make some kind of sale or to trick someone from an arrival company into like doing something or else, or, you know, who knows? Who knows? You don't actually know which that's the problem. You don't actually know what is, what is the corrupt thing. And it, the people in charge don't know how to justify themselves either because mm. they, they know like they have their plan. They have their plan for what to do. Their plan might involve throwing a big party, like at a strategic moment, um, maybe to reward their employees, maybe to reward themselves, maybe for some other, per just to get a bunch of people in the same room. Mm. And this is the only way to get all the right combination. And this guy's wife is going to ask this other guy's wife. And there's this, this big plan involved that's half subconscious or something. Uh, and, you know, and they like now, what if you had to say something like they have to explain everything in writing to the shareholders? Well, they can't because they have a big strategy that's constantly evolving and it's half secret. Hmm. So, it, yeah, I, I, I like the idea. I actually really like the idea. The one, the one concern I have uh, uh, just off the top of my head, like thinking about this, and you can correct me if, if this is a, a poor assessment of it is just that one of the things I don't like about the way the modern our modern eco uh, economic system works, especially um, in Britain and America, is the increased financialization of everything. So it, it, the 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 size of 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 it's not just the stock market anymore it's the stock market and then there's the futures market and there's the options market and there's just like uh there's that scene in in the film um the big short where they say oh you know if you could have if you had like 50 million dollars worth of a, a, a cdo on the market how much would be betting on it and he's like a billion dollars yeah. it's like 20 times the size of the of the market the 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 this like gambling betting financialization whatever you want to call it and i'm concerned that that sounds like this is making that even larger maybe i'm wrong because maybe the structure yeah. would be different if the whole financial system was based on on cryptocurrency and blockchain but uh, yeah what what do you think of that is that is that a sure. bad assessment well i don't know about that a bad assessment i mean i think well there's a different angle one angle is that there has been the increasing, you could argue that the increasing financialization has made the world less barbaric. So in the past, if you'd live in a tribe and if you like broke your leg or something, people would take care of you just because you're a part of the family. Um, but instead, you, we, we would have health insurance today or, I mean, the United States is like the exception that, <laughs> but because we, what, what, no one knows what we have. We, I, no, I don't know, certainly. But you either have some kind of health insurance or you have a, like a government thing that is like health insurance mm. where people, it will, this thing, something will come in and take care of you until you get better. Mm. Uh, and life insurance. So life insurance used to be, it was invented in somewhere in the UK, I think Scotland or something in a, a church, but it was, it was hated at first because it was thought that if someone, you know, it's like you're making money if your spouse dies or something, or if your parents die. So it was like, oh, like that's sinister. It had a sinister angle to it. And it's really sinister thought, if you want your spouse to die. Yeah. And well, it's like, well, if the person <laughs> dies, um, the church would take care of the kid. So the community would. So why do you need money? You know, this money kind of is like setting people off. Mm. Similarly, when the case, but you see today, if you didn't buy life insurance for your family, if you didn't, you would be irresponsible and kind of crazy. So it's flipped 180 degrees. And the people thought that, you know, the stock markets were just gambling. But if you really boil it down, like, let's say you have a rich guy who has money that he doesn't need, and you have someone else who has an idea. And that, that person is currently like whatever, a low paid janitor or laborer or something. Do, is it, should they really have to work for 20 or 30 years and slowly save up enough money so they can launch the idea with their own money? And the rich guy, meanwhile, he can't do anything with his money. It has to sit there doing nothing. You know, they, the rich guy can just be an investor. The guy can try his idea immediately. 
there's no reason for you, just you to be, it's requiring a kind of coincidence that someone have good ideas about production and also be independently wealthy. It's like mm. only the independently wealthy people are in. But if you have capital markets, then the ideas are there in their own league and then the money comes to them. So people are often uh, upset by financialization, but this is similarly, there was a securitization for the, this partially created the uh, housing crisis and financial crisis in the world. Uh, there was this securitization that you had these mortgages, they would become the CDO, and then anyone could, could trade it. But the, what, what that was supposed to be doing and what it did to some extent uh, it did go horribly wrong, but what it did uh, do is that, again, why, let's say you live in like Tulsa, Oklahoma or something, and there's a bunch of people live in New York. You know, why is it the case that only the, the savers in Tulsa, Oklahoma can fund mortgages in Tulsa, Oklahoma? You know, you just happen, you, if you want a mortgage, you have to live in a place where people uh, are saving money. Like that doesn't really make any sense. You know, it should just be one pool of money that's available to everyone at the best rate, the lowest interest rate. And then, you know, the, it's no different than buying the, the cheapest, highest quality apples from a supermarket that are shipped in from wherever they can get, be obtained the, the cheapest way. So obviously that did go wrong because it, it deleted a lot of information about the mortgages along the way. And then it opened the door to all the scams. Um, but I think you can't, to really answer your question, I don't think you can go back, right? Like, Society can't go, if you want to go back, you have to go all the way back. Like as Karl Popper said, you have to return to the beasts and you have to just give everything up and, and just, you know, you have to, um, if you want to really defeat the finance people, I think you have to use their own weapon against them, mm. um, which is the entire final financialization thing. You just have to make sure it works for you. I mean, you could say like, oh, I don't like being trolled on the internet, so we should just smash the internet to pieces, right? But, but then you have like you spam filters, reputation, something. You have to come up with some new thing. Like every problem has, has new problems. So I, I, this isn't really even, um, this is like a, you know, it's funny, it is a financialization because it's like what Enron was trying to do where they're like monetizing the weather or something. This is like that. It's like betting on real world things that haven't happened yet. But I think, the, the key is to just go problem by problem. And this problem that people don't know how to choose the leader is um, obviously it's like among our biggest problems on the planet. And by solving it, we will open the door to new, just as the internet has new problems. If we solve the problem this way, we would open the door to, to new problems. But uh, I don't think that, you know, it's very hard to say like what on earth is, where is it going wrong in finance, you know, because money is involved, right? It's not like if you do someone a favor, they, you have to have a good opinion of them to redeem the favor. Or they have to have a good opinion of you. Whatever the point is, you always have like this kind of clause. If, it's, if there's no money involved and there's just friendship, there's always this clause where you say, you know, if I don't like this person, I can just walk away. With money, if they sell you a car or a bad car or something, they can walk, take the money and van. You can't, you can never get your revenge. So I think it's just everything involving money has a kind of suspicion uh, to it and uh, with rightly so. But you want it to be that way because that's the only way you can get through these other problems like groupthink or whatever. Now this is a rambling answer, but, but I, so I think it won't, I think it's, uh, it's not so bad. I don't think that it, I don't think it actually increases the financialization significantly. And I think instead, a lot of what you had was uh, in the past was a problem of companies, of people not caring about uh, how their company would do in the long run. Mm. A lot of those uh, in the financial crisis, a lot of people were just like, we're just going to try to get a higher return than the next guy. We'll push the leverage because it doesn't matter because I already have like an enormous network. So, and I have CEO clauses that are like the golden parachute clauses and stuff that are like, if I get fired for any reason, I get $50 million immediately. So they're just like, I don't, who cares? So a lot of it was, was run badly. Uh, so that was, so who knows? But I think you can't, you can't just go back. Like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do to stop me from even inventing this or, for, or for, to stop the tide of financialization? Like, 
what are you gonna do? You have to go. You have to go further into it and try and win. And then you just just wait because there'll be a new arena like soon. I think you know it just that's just the part of the accelerating rate of, of change in the society we live in now. That was a rambling answer, wasn't it? No, it's all right. Don't worry. Um, so say somebody wanted to step in and regulate cryptocurrencies as if they were a security. Um, say the SEC, for example, as they are attempting to. Um, how, how successful do you think they, they could potentially be? But you, you, yeah, we were talking right. about like going back. Uh, do you think the genie's out of the bottle? Like, is this just there's because I what I see certain governments kind of scrambling to get up on this. Like America's talked about a digital dollar. Like Britain has has said we're going to make Bitcoin, which is hilarious. Um, you've got the 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 digital yen being pushed, um, and it feels like all of these nations are now just suddenly waking up to what this is. And they're scrambling to either get a piece of it or get a put a lid on it. Do you think that's even possible? That's a good. Well, I mean, I think we are going to find out, right? That's that's like what we're here to find out, right? But I think it was. It's important to keep in mind that this is what makes Bitcoin different from its predecessors, namely, Eagle, the Liberty Reserve. Um, what was they called? The um, there's a whole list. I used to know the whole list and I used to rattle it off to people, but now it's been so long. You got me back to my like mm. Bitcoin intro. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but mm. there were all these predecessors, um, especially Liberty Reserve that were like digital dollars and they were closed down by the government. Um, but Bitcoin was designed to be decentralized so that it doesn't really it's not an account on a, uh, with a server somewhere. So there is no single spot that you could go to close it down. You, now every single spot, it, it's all peer to peer. All the nodes are equal. So you have to close down, instead of just going to one spot and closing it down, you have to close down all of the nodes at once, which is just designed, <laughs> to, do, it's just designed to be difficult. You know, on the internet, especially when they're all in different countries, many of them are behind Tor, you have no idea where they are. Like Silk Road, the website, that was one server behind Tor. And it took them many years to find it and close it down. Mm. But there's, I think there's like 30 or 40,000 Bitcoin nodes behind Tor and like 100,000 that are out in the open. Okay. And you would, and of course, once they start closing them down, people would, would um, react to that and start starting them up. And they would, if they were like, if, you know, Switzerland and like Iran and Brazil are the three countries that allow them all, then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't just spin up more nodes there and then people can VPN into them. Mm. So there's something, Alan Turing's universality of computation that you can make anything can, you know, all the computers can do the same thing. It doesn't matter what country they're in and they can be, it can all be encrypted to look like something else. So it was designed to be on, like, so it was designed to evade being closed down so that if you, if you live in a country that makes it illegal, you can still access the, the service. Uh, and so it was designed specifically to be that the, the blockchain itself would, would continue to work regardless of whatever laws are passed by anyone. And the blockchain has no idea who you are and if you live in that country or if that law is passed or not, again, on, on purpose. So they could, you know, the SEC can pass whatever law it likes. It could ban Bitcoin from the country. But uh, that's like, it's, like, it's yeah. kind of like banning like the French language or like banning chess from the country or something. It's like, you know, like you can go and find people who, oh, that guy, he was speaking French and you can put him in jail or you can burn and destroy all the books. But, you know, you, French is like, you know, it's an abstraction. So mm. you can't like get rid of it. So that's, but the other thing is we have many now, many people have flipped now that there's so much money is involved. We have like senators from Wyoming the state, you know, with these small states, and we have like a mayor in Miami. So people have flipped, and now they're they're pro Bitcoin because of the campaign contributions. So with the wealth comes the all that corrupt stuff. So it's been working for Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of like for better or for worse, or as a, however you feel about that. But 
that now has, and you never really know, like a politician could say whatever they like, but maybe they, after they're done speaking on, on C-SPAN on TV, they, they go home and they buy Bitcoin. Maybe you have, you really have no <laughs> idea. Like hmm. so it's hard to tell who the real enemies are or how much they care or what, you know, the governments are of course, mostly distracted by their own, their own issues. You know, we have the left versus right, and then we have the entire geopolitical world. They're all like worried about all that other stuff. An interesting thing that you you brought this up at the very beginning of this question that you asked, which is that they, it's so difficult for most people to understand that by the time it filters into this like weird bureaucratic thing, most of the people in the United States Congress are very old lawyers. Mm. Yeah, um, and they, you know. Lawyers are kind of like very far away from engineers, especially like internet protocol, <laughs> like researchers. So they're going to have to rely on other people. Many people are really confused about what to do. And there's also a lot of, there's now a lot of fear, um, like uh, cyber attacks, cybersecurity in the, I mean, at least in the public conversation that I can see. Again, as I was just telling you before, like I have honestly no idea what they're really doing in Congress, but I know <laughs> what I what I hear about. You know, they're worried about China. Like, what if, 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 what if, like, you have like China, Japan, Europe, and the United States, and it's like whatever China bans, like Japan will probably push, and similarly, like. So this is part of the, the cleverness of the design is that you have all these people and with these different interests, but it's all on the same internet. So anyone runs no, even if it's only Japan that runs all the nodes, it doesn't matter. The thing will survive. And that adds a kind of futility to trying to ban it. Mm. And then you now you would see a lot of business leave. So then people want to be pro jobs, pro business. So I think to answer, to answer your question, I would say, yes, the genie is probably out of the bottle. But yeah, again, rambling answer on that. That's all right. Who, who, who honestly, honestly, how would anyone know? Hmm. But yeah, something dramatic is going to happen at some point. Some country will make the mistake of trying to, of going further and further down the path of trying to suppress it when they are the only one. If you, what you'd really have to do is start a big international movement to ban it, but that hmm. would require a lot of negotiating, you know, like coordination, meetings, and that, that would take months and months and transparency that would take years to do mm. best case scenario if they ever do it at all well they've been yeah. so quick on fixing yeah, yeah. yeah they've been so quick on the global <laughs> yeah. agreements to to deal with climate change yeah i know and right, to deal exactly. with sweatshops and all these other problems yeah. that we've had Over for 15, years that they dealt with yeah. immediately yeah we, we're not still we can look to confident with confidence to their <laughs> track record of success <laughs> right so of course that's exactly what i'm saying like you know Right, it's, it's very theoretical. Like they could all meet and coordinate to ban Bitcoin. Yeah, right after they uh, do all that other stuff. Yeah, but then one of the one country will go. We should just buy some Bitcoin because exactly. it'll skyrocket once everyone else bans it, and then yeah, the like one will Thailand buy or whatever, and they'll yeah. be like the Bitcoin country. And then you know, like it's like you know, it'll be too. Many of these other countries are run so badly. We have the the problem in Venezuela. We have like Venezuela, Argentina, Nigeria, right, uh, Zimbabwe. These countries, no offense to their leaders, but they're just, you know, they're just run badly. And there's, there's like an open insurrection by the, the people to just like ignore. Mm. So like, you know, and so those people are now into Bitcoin. So, mm. I mean, I, as, Amer as an American, I don't think you're in a position to talk about um, insurrections <laughs> being ignored. Yeah. Um. Like <laughs> we had a, we had like a LARP insurrection. Those, it's a sad That's thing. Like those, those that's people were just, it's so sad that, you know, you can really, because those people do have to like, you see how those people have to go to like prison for a really long time. But at the same time, you can really just tell that they were just like having fun and they, they really yeah. didn't even know what they were doing. Yeah. And the weird thing is, I don't know, uh, the, it's an interesting thing that event probably, you know, destroyed a lot of the support for donald trump actually that's how those things go so if you whether you liked it or not i mean ever, we all learned something <laughs> oh yeah day, yeah so. mm. and uh yeah one of the things was that it's just actually really easy to just break into that building you know yeah i mean that was a funny, by the by the looks of things they just like i felt bad i feel bad for the people because they just sort of 
It, it looks like the police just sort of opened the gates after a while. Yeah. Like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> and the people just sort of idly stumbled in. And... See, but this is part of the thing. There was actually an incredibly complicated, like, game theory going on. Because if those were actually, like, you know, soldiers from the Chinese Communist Party or something, there would just be, like, all this machine gun. They would never have, like, gotten in, actually. There'd be, like, people flying in on helicopters and <laughs> shooting missiles and stuff. But it was because it was, like so non-threatening that the police were like, I don't want to be like the guy who just opens fire on a protester and just kills them, you know? So it was because it was so objectively not a threat that paradoxically they were able to like, so there was a lot of like kind of complicated stuff, a lot of context going on, but it's sad because you can't, you can't like carve out an exception for people to say, oh, you, you know, if you're only having fun, then you don't have to go to prison. It's like, you know, like, yikes. And it just gave it, it's annoying because it actually gave all those, those people that, it gave a lot of people a lot of political um, fuel, you know? Like now all those, the, the, le- the, the left in Congress could say, see, we told you so, the, you know, he was Adolf Hitler the whole time. Uh, now we need, uh, and then they, they like closed everything down. If you go to Washington, D.C. now, there was like, they have like barricades and it's very 1984-esque. And they're, yeah. they're very well protected now, but it looks creepy and annoying. And, uh, you know, so that's, it, yeah, it was, well, that was obviously an, an interesting event. Yeah. So it's, it's a testament to America, though, that most people wouldn't, Americans have a very healthy disdain actually for the whole thing anyway and so even if someone took control of congress most most people just wouldn't care at all and they would do and even like most governors probably wouldn't care and they just every state would just keep going marching on the same way that yeah before it's part of we have our free speech and we have our second amendment and so people would just yeah. people would just be like i don't care yeah i mean i'll take i'll take the horns guy over mitch mcconnell and nancy pelosi Right, exactly. Yeah, a lot of people just hope like there's like the State of the Union, we're all, the, all in the same room. It's like a common joke to just help like, why can't we have just the meteor fall and just get rid of all of them, you know, in one fell swoop. And start have you ever watched with... Designated Survivor? That doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but anyway, I feel like we got a bit off, off topic and um, we're, we're, yeah, I'm uh, hoping to, 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 to shoot on here in a little bit. So uh, do you want to just give people um, some info about uh, what you do, where they can find your work, and, and you know, pl- plug yourself a little bit before we finish. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a I have a blog. I try to write about like controversial Bitcoin topics, so it's, it gets very advanced, just like accidentally because that's what interests me. But I have a blog, Truthcoin.info, and it is mostly about people's attempts to change Bitcoin into other things. So these, it's like Bitcoin versus ethereum and uh all this other stuff was was what it was originally about and and uh, the block size debate and, and things uh are very complicated things like that um i have a bitcoin project called drive chain and they're all the sites linked to each other and the drive chain.info is the site that paradoxically or perhaps inevitably that is a project about how bitcoin can copy these other projects and simulate them mm. so you would send some Bitcoins to a different piece of software that would just pretend to be like Ethereum or something. And then you could do whatever you could do on Ethereum, you could do over there, and then you could get the coins back and it would all be with the, just the one currency unit. And so you'd only ever have to invest in the one currency. Uh, that's the idea behind that idea, uh, drive chain that info. And then that all that prediction markets betting stuff, that is a project that is now called uh, Bitcoin Hivemind. Uh, com, and there I have a cool little. I do have a, a bunch of videos, but there's one that's 20 minutes that tries to explain that plan that I was telling you about. Um, and uh, I gave that at Anarchapolco in 2019, I think. Uh, yeah. So that that's the site, and then I'm Truthcoin on Twitter because that paper was originally called Truthcoin, and then the blog became Truthcoin, and then my last name is impossible to spell, so yeah, I'm Truthcoin on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, I'll put the links for everything um, in the description below for people. Anyone wants to check that out. But um, yeah, Paul, thanks. Thanks very much for your time. It's been it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, follow me on Twitter, or sign up to our mailing list. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, the number one most trusted VPN. 
Get lightning fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries. Keep your browsing privacy safe with ExpressVPN and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below. Don't forget my book is now out and available to order on Amazon and on bookshop.org. That's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. And most importantly, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.